Welcome to the Genealogy Gems Podcast, providing quick and innovative ways to make the absolute most out of your research time and creative ideas for sharing and displaying your family history. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Genealogy Gems Podcast, episode number 68. I'm recording this in July of 2009, and it's about 100 degrees outside, so I am even happier than usual to be inside and talking to you. Now, in today's show, I've got some new items for you that are even sprinkled with a little bit of controversy, as well as an interview that I think that you're really going to enjoy. But first off, let's head to the news. Now, I got a press release from my friends, the Genealogy Guys, who do the Genealogy Guys podcast, and they are going to be at the Federation of Genealogical Societies Conference in Little Rock, Arkansas, on September 2nd through the 5th of 2009. And they're going to be recording their show before a live audience on September 3rd at 3.30 p.m. Audience members will have the opportunity to submit questions that might be selected to be addressed by the guys, so it should be a lot of fun. So for more information about the conference, visit the FGS website at fgs.org. And while I was at the uh, Southern California Genealogical Jamboree recently, I met up with the genealogy guys, uh, George Morgan and Drew Smith. And George videotaped while Drew Smith interviewed me about genealogy gems and about podcasting. Kind of a change to be on that end of the interview, but they were terrific and it was a lot of fun. And so you can listen to the audio version of that interview on their newest episode of The Genealogy Guys, which was just released. It's episode number 177. And uh, I believe that the video version is going to be published shortly, so you might want to keep an eye out for that. In other news, the Library of Congress has launched the Library of Congress on iTunes U. Now, iTunes U is like iTunes University. It's an area of the iTunes store offering free education, audio, and video content from many of the world's top universities and other institutions. Well, the Library of Congress has an iTunes U section of their website, and it includes historical videos from the library's moving image collections, such as original Edison films and a series of 1904 films from the Westinghouse works, lectures from the Klug Center, and the Journeys and Crossings series of discussions with curators. It also includes, of course, audio podcasts, includes series like The Slave Narratives from the American Folklife Center, and interviews with noted authors from the National Book Festival, and of course, lots of classroom and educational materials. Now, all of this Library of Congress uh, iTunes U content is free, and it's downloadable. You can find more information about it at loc.gov. And, of course, the iTunes application, I don't need to tell you, is uh, needed to listen to iTunes U on iTunes, and you can download that for free at apple.com slash iTunes. Now, this next item may not be a big deal to those of you who don't socialize online about genealogy, but for those of you who do enjoy social media like Facebook and Twitter and the new Genealogy Wise website, this will likely be of interest. And I have to warn you, I'm going to have some personal opinion mixed in here as well. So it's more of an editorial comment, if you will. 
Well, Genealogy Wise is a new social networking website for genealogists, and it was just set up by FamilyLink.com, which is the parent company of World Battle Records. Now, it's been a little bit of a rocky start for them right in the beginning here. Um, but before we get into that, let's cover a little bit of the background first. Now, there are hundreds of genealogists on Facebook. And you know, I've mentioned Facebook here on the show, and I'm on there. It's a thriving community that I really enjoy myself. And we have yet to see how much impact genealogy-wise, which is kind of the, the new Facebook for genealogists, as blogger Randy Siever put it, um, it, we have yet to see kind of how much impact genealogy-wise is going to have on the activity over on Facebook, you know, whether people will drop one for the other. They both have their merits, which has me kind of wondering, how wise is all this social networking for our genealogy? <laughs> now, I really enjoy it, but and I don't know about you, but I have found that it is really easy to get sidetracked throughout my day with what's being talked about on both sides and trying to keep up. And sometimes I have a hard time getting my work done, let alone my own genealogy research done. And, you know, it's pretty hard in general to carve out as much time as I'd like from my own genealogy research. And, you know, who's to say that Ancestry won't come up with its own social network for genealogists next week or some other company? I mean, my gosh, where will we all go then? <laughs> but the real advantage I see on Facebook is that Facebook is all-inclusive. I have genealogy and I have non-genealogy friends and family alike on Facebook. And I really don't see my non-genealogist folks joining genealogy-wise. Heck, I mean, it's a hard sell just to get them to take a look at a family tree that I've printed out. So that element alone means if I want to use genealogy-wise, I'm going to have to maintain both genealogy-wise and Facebook. And of course, that's where the time challenge comes into play. But enough of my challenges. Genealogy-wise has certainly had some challenges of their own in these first few weeks of their launch. The first thing I noticed was an email that was sent out to all of the members of Genealogy-Wise on July 10th. I think they'd only been up for about a week or so. It kind of came across as a, here's what you can do for us message, you know, telling members to add their profile photo, add information to their profiles, and they were naming the top 10 groups that were created by members, which starts to kind of feel like a peer pressure thing, <laughs> like back in junior high. But that's just my humble opinion. I mean, when did Facebook ever tell us what to do with our Facebook profile? <laughs> In this email, they also told members to start a new conversation thread and respond to a conversation thread. And I figure there was either a lot of pressure coming from the Family Link management to make certain numbers, or they just didn't have a lot of faith in genealogists growing genealogy-wise organically. Conversations, for numbers' sake, doesn't really seem like a very worthwhile endeavor, and it kind of comes across insincere. And nowhere in the email did it actually say what they would like to do for genealogists. It was just what we could do for them. But that email went fairly unnoticed. I mean, maybe I was the only one that it sort of rubbed the wrong way, but soon enough, just about everyone else was feeling the rub. And that occurred when respected genealogy blogger Terry Thornton, who had been very active and doing a lot to add energy and content to genealogy-wise, he actually posted some criticisms about the site, which were promptly censored and removed. 
ooh, bad form from genealogy wise, <laughs> and all heck broke loose. Then Genealogy Wise announced a contest with monetary prizes to encourage folks to add content. Add it fast and furious. Sort of sounded like throw it at the wall and see if it sticks. Well, that philosophy did not go over very well with thoughtful, methodical genealogists who care about quality of content. Genealogy Wise has since announced that they will allow so-called disrespectful posts on Genealogy Wise about Genealogy Wise. Um, but has asked for feedback on what types of posts, if any, should actually be censored. For instance, should profanity be censored? Uh, not that I've ever run across genealogists with potty mouths online, but <laughs> okay. But in my opinion, criticism and profanity are really two different issues. So we'll see how they deal with that. Anyway, just this morning, Paul Allen, CEO of Family Link, posted a very thoughtful and heartfelt apology online to Terry Thornton. He apologized for the removal of his content and retracted that distasteful contest that they had put together. Instead, he offered to donate some of the prize money to Terry's Genealogy Society, and that was a really nice move from a pretty stand-up guy. Um, as my mom always said, when you make a mistake, eating dirt is the quickest way to make things right. So I'll have a link in the show notes for you to um, Paul Allen's apology. It was really um, a great move on his part. So where do we go from here? Well, I still wholeheartedly encourage genealogists to network with other genealogists online. Do I think that Facebook or Genealogy Wise is going to help you significantly build your family tree? Probably not. I mean, don't get me wrong, I know that that can happen and some people have some some wonderful, you know, genealogical serendipity and they meet a cousin online. But Time spent on reliable primary sources is going to pay much higher dividends on a regular basis than um, your activities on a social network. However, uh, I have had a great experience sharing my interest in genealogy and learning new tips and getting answers to questions and input from other genealogists online. Being part of Facebook certainly enhanced my experience at the recent Genealogy Jamboree conference last month. It was so much fun to meet people in person and visit and share meals together. So that kind of brings you up to speed on what's going on in social networking for genealogists. And I invite you to join me on Facebook or Genealogy Wise or both. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Lisa Louise Cook. And if you join Facebook, be sure and join the Genealogy Gems podcast Facebook group. We'd love to have you. Just search Genealogy Gems in the search box or click the direct link that I'll have for you in the show notes. And you can find me, of course, at Genealogy Wise. And that's at genealogywise.com slash profile slash Lisa Louise Cook. And there's also a Genealogy Gems podcast group over there as well. It's at genealogywise.com slash group slash Genealogy Gems podcast. So if you enjoy the synergy of sharing your interests with other genealogists, then I hope to see you out there. And I wish the best of success to Genealogy Wise and hope that they can work out the kinks and, and we'll keep an eye on it and report back in future episodes. But wait, I have one more item here on Family Link, and that's in regards to a website called Paper of Record. Now, you know how you hear about announcements from the different genealogy records companies and they say, we're launching all these new websites and this is the only place where you can find these gazillion records. Well, don't you sometimes wonder about all that? 
I mean, it's pretty hard to follow it all, and we pretty much just have to take their word for it. Well, one announcement like this that came out a little while ago really caught my eye because it just didn't sound right. World Battle Records announced in their newsletter that the content from the website Paper of Record, quote, is back online. This re-release will include 302 titles and 312 million names. Well, the reason this caught my eye was because I had just learned that Google was making a very similar announcement. You see, Paper of Record was a terrific Canadian website that specialized in providing digital newspapers online. And I reported about that in episode 66 of the Genealogy Gems podcast. Well, World Vital Records was stating that it had exclusive content from Paper of Record. But there was Google announcing that they had Paper of Record content as well and for free. So I contacted World Vital Records, which of course is owned by Family Link, and I asked if it was indeed exclusive content, and they said yes. So I replied and letting them know that Google was announcing that content as well. I then got an email back from Family Link's Director of Content and Partner Relations um, apologizing for the confusion. He writes, I have contacted Paper of Record for clarification. World Vital Records is now the exclusive distributor of Paper of Record content with the exception of what small portion is on Google. I believe Google's PR is a little dated. They had been pursuing putting up all of the Paper of Record content, but they only made it through approximately 25%, which is still available there. World Vital Records will soon host 100% of Paper of Record content. Well, Google News Archives users seem to have noticed the difference in content as well. And Google News Archive, which I recently published a video on, uh, is Google's delivery system for the paper of record content, all those great newspapers. And users have been posting on the Google message board that the content was incomplete. There was such an uproar about this that Bob Huggins, who was the founder, the original founder of paperofrecord.com, posted a response. And he said, I've sent an email to Dan Clancy at Google asking for written permission and or a change to the asset purchase agreement of September 2006 and to restart paperofrecord.com. An effort will be made to ensure all former data is available until such time Google's version is complete. We will determine the most economically feasible way to achieve this. Well, that email was written about an effort back in April of 2009, a couple months ago, to make the content available while Google got their act together. But by last month, Google finally answered some of the questions by saying that there were certain newspapers that they were having trouble getting the rights to post. And I think by that they meant that the rights of the original copyright with the original publisher versus getting rights from the paper of record. They supposedly have published um, all that they have the rights to, which is the majority of the records, and that they hope to post more in the future. But in the meantime, it looks like Bob Huggins struck a deal with World Vital Records. So it's still pretty murky, but it seems to be a pretty unanimous decision that Paper of Record was really a terrific newspaper website. And though Google and World Vital Records so far neither one of them are really offering the same kind of search capabilities that Paper of Record had, they seem to have some of the content. And even now, I'm, I'm not totally sure that World Water Records has 100% of the content actually available. So my recommendation is to check with the Google News Archive first, which is free, and then check to see if World Bottle Records has the newspaper that you're looking for. 
Now, if you have any information about the progress being made with the Paper of Records content, I would love to hear from you so I can update everybody here on the show. Just email me at genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com or call the voicemail line 925-272-4021 to leave a message that I can play here on the show. Profile America, Monday, July 20th. For those of a certain age, it may seem impossible that today marks the 40th anniversary of the first landing of humans on the surface of the moon. Much of the world watched on this date in 1969 when Apollo 11 astronauts Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong maneuvered the lunar lander to a safe landing, while command module pilot Michael Collins continued orbiting the moon. Shortly afterward, Armstrong made the first human footprint in the dust of the moon. The flight was a technical triumph and fulfilled President Kennedy's challenge of 1961 to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. This year, NASA's budget for continued manned flights of the space shuttle is near $3 billion. You can find these and more facts about America from the U.S. Census Bureau online at census.gov. If you'd like to trace the roots of space travel or just get a little nostalgic, visit NASA's website and visit the Apollo 40th anniversary pages, which feature restored videos from the Apollo 11 moonwalk, real-time replay of mission audio from July 16th through the 24th, newly released Apollo 11 spacecraft audio, and an interactive map showing anniversary events around the country. To get all that, you can visit nasa.gov slash mission pages and I think that there is an underline between mission and pages it's hard to see <laughs> slash Apollo slash 40th but of course I'll have that link for you in the show notes and also in the show notes for this episode you can watch the launch as you would have seen it back on July 16th 1969 at 9 26 a.m eastern daylight time t minus five minutes 59 seconds and counting just gives me goosebumps even now. Hi there, this is Lisa Cook of Family History Genealogy Made Easy. Have you ever wondered who your ancestors were? Finding your family history has never been easier or more rewarding. Get the tools that will deliver success along with inspiring stories of family discovery on my weekly show, Family History Genealogy Made Easy on personallifemedia.com. Well, in this gem, you are in for a treat. Thomas McKenty is not only a prolific and knowledgeable genealogy blogger, he's a really nice guy. And in today's episode, I am really pleased to bring you my interview with him, which I recorded at the recent Southern California Genealogy Jamboree. Thomas talks about how to do genealogy blogging, his own numerous blogs, and some tips for you to get started blogging about your own family history. I am really excited because I have snagged the genea blogger himself, uh -huh. Thomas McKenty. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> and we can't miss you because you are totally yeah. coordinated well, here and you're Chinese. And this so the, all, all the other genea blogging people know they can find me and spot me across the room here at Jamboree. So, That's right. Yeah. 
And I have seen you. I've seen you in the exhibit hall. I've yeah. seen you in classes. Right. Um, what have you been doing so far? We're only halfway through. I can't believe we're only halfway through because <laughs> uh, it just, it's gone by quickly. I got in yesterday about 11 o'clock in the morning. and uh, so, But it was a long day from Chicago, you know, the flight and everything. But mostly I've been socializing. And I knew that would happen. I mean, I, I signed up for a lot of sessions. And, you know, I played hooky on a few of them. And I have to admit. Uh, and you filled out... Uh, Paula's surveying. You of told her you I were going to be in of class. I did, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but no, mostly it's been socializing. And I've actually been talking to people that don't have genealogy blogs that are very interested. And I think they've got certain hurdles mentally that they want to overcome. They're, they're afraid of certain privacy issues, copyright issues. Uh, you know, they don't think any, they don't think they could write well enough for a blog. So I'm not strong arming people into having a genealogy blog, but really I'm just laying the information out there for them and uh, trying to uh, alleviate some of their apprehensions. Well, and, and let's talk about that because it's such a unique area within genealogy that, that you've kind of taken on and and kind of become the father of the genealogy uh -huh. bloggers. We had a um, genealogy blogger summit this morning right. that you sponsored, the genea bloggers right. sponsored, right. and I felt funny because I was up there on the panel and I mean I love to blog and I do audio blogging and writing blogging and that kind of thing. But there's Thomas McKenzie sitting in the audience. I felt like you should have been up there, no, but you I, were sponsoring I'm, it. I'm, right. I was sponsoring it, and I also, you know, I didn't, and the panel was full by the time I hopped in and tried oh, okay. and decided to sponsor it. Also, but I, you know, I really didn't want to have that much of an influence over the content. I thought it was great. I mean, you know, people that didn't know the eight panelists got to know them mm -hmm. a lot better. But also, if you were brand new to blogging, you guys had, you had some great tips yourself. You were picking up on the whole. SEO thing. You might want to mention what SEO is, because yeah. here I am dropping an acronym. But the whole idea of using keywords, and you know, uh, I brought that up when you compose a title on a blog post. That was a great tip. Yeah. The other thing I didn't add is don't use any funny characters. They they say don't use like a pound symbol, mm -hmm. even even a question mark, because then it sort of gets scooted down the list from the other stuff, you know. And, Does a colon uh, do that? I'm always doing colons. I, yeah, I try. I, uh, dashes I do, colons I don't do, <laughs> okay. you know. Right. So, and actually, uh, that is one of the next, uh, you know, items I'm working on. Uh, we just came out with the geneal genealogy blog primer over on the Genial Blogger site. And our next project is how to market your genealogy blog. So that's going to be a whole new presentation on what options, almost all of them free, yes. are out there to market your blog and get yourself noticed. Well, then let's talk about how did Genia Bloggers start? Do you do this full time? I know that you have, I have 10,000 questions, Thomas. I want to know, how many blogs do you have? For, let's start okay. there. How many blogs do you have? I have about 11 blogs. I think nine of them are genealogy related. Uh, one is my legal technology consulting business. And one is actually, it's funny how uh, Ancestry Insider talked about the whole employee blog. Yes. One is started as an employee blog from my last job. I was actually laid off and they didn't pay me my wages, nor did they pay 1,200 other people. So we started... There's a, something to blog about. Well, we started a blog. Actually, what happened, it was a way for me to coordinate the bankruptcy process to make sure that people sure. got their money and got their claim in. And that's the power of a blog. I mean, you know, you can do so... You can reach a lot of people with a blog, you know. So my nine genealogy ones, I have one on obituaries from my ancestral hometown of Lowellville, New York, in upstate New York. 
I have one on uh, New York State rural cemeteries. New York started a rural cemetery movement in the 1840s because they were they didn't want bodies buried. The whole cholera epidemics of the 1840s, they didn't want the bodies buried in the cities. So they required that there be cemeteries outside city limits. And it was also when Frederick Law Olmsted, who created Central Park, was starting the whole movement of parklands with rolling hills. So basically, this was the first landscaped cemetery movement in the country. So that's one blog, and I also highlight all those cemeteries. (laughs) And uh, I have Destination Austin Family, which is my Austin line from Rhode Island and New York. I have uh, Genia Blockers, of course. Oh, uh, Boot Camp for Genia Blockers which is our technical blog, which uh, is great. I mean, it really, if you want to know how to do a widget or how to back up your blog, that's the place to go. And we've also gotten to the point where we're talking about WordPress blogs, not just blogger blogs, okay. which I think is important. Yeah, it is. And uh, now I'm losing track. Oh, I also have one called And I Helped. You remember the Kentucky Fried, uh, not Kentucky Fried Chicken, Shake and Bake commercial? Yeah. Remember when the girl said, And I Helped? Oh, well, yeah. it is a blog about my mother's recipes. So oh. it's, it's a genealogy blog based on family history, based on recipes that were handed down in my family. So that's one of my blogs. I also have one called Cat's Christmas, basically on uh, Christmas traditions where I grew up in New York. So, yeah. I take it you blog every day. I blog. I blog every day. Some blogs they don't update every day. And that's one of the questions that came up quite a bit today during the Blogger Summit is I don't have the time to post every day. You don't have to post every day. Some blogs I post, to be honest, once a month. But what people need to understand is when you blog, it's still sitting out there for people to find it on Google. You know, if I'm posting my surnames, just because it's not fresh doesn't mean that someone's going to visit it for they're, they're going to visit it for the first time a month from now two months from now a year from now so if you you have to have a web presence i really think you do every genealogist should have a blog you know and you can reveal as much information about you yourself and your family as you want you know you have total control over that right. and that was i think one of the other perceptions is people think that everything's out in the public well, they're looking for rules. Okay, tell me right. the rules. And, and there really aren't rules. Well, there There's aren't, some guidelines, well, right? Well, the thing is, I think there aren't rules because the platforms like Blogger and WordPress give you enough freedom to do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. But use some common sense. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to write about a living person, just like we do in genealogy, when you're producing a chart or you're uploading your family tree online, you don't list living relatives. Right. So if I'm going to write about a family story that involves a living person, I'm usually going to ask them first. I mean, that's only common courtesy. It's also a way to keep the families happy <laughs> to do it that way. But uh, so also there are some people that don't reveal even who they are. We have Ancestry yeah. Insider. We have Footnote Maven. We have Dear Myrtle. If you try hard enough, you can find out who these people are. But that's also part of their branding. That's what I'm going to talk about in marketing your genealogy blog. Some people have a brand. You have a brand, yes. Genealogy Gems. Yes. You know? And so and, and so when, when I think of you, I think of genealogy gems I don't think of Lisa Louise Cook right you know and so and that means that the brand is successful right. I mean to me you know I don't so that people have a sense of I know what I can look forward to when I go there and I can actually start to anticipate exactly. my the next post right right and so you can control your privacy uh, copyright is another concern uh, they say well you know I just I can't cite anything that's not true. You have to understand how the fair use law works with copyright. And you cover uh, a lot of that in your um, 
the law with... Um, Actually, a great source is Craig Manson for that, his genia bloggy. I mean, that's really where he got noticed. he's a lawyer. He is a lawyer, and yeah. that's how he got noticed in 2007, where some copyright issues were coming up involving bloggers. And the other one, a great site that I mention a lot is uh, Stanford University in California mm-hmm. has a whole page on what their libraries should follow in terms of yes. copyright rules, you know? So, uh, as a rule, I don't publish anything after 1923. I give it about 75 years, and so obituaries on my obituary blog is, you know, 75 years out. So, uh, but when in doubt, you know, go and look at our resources if you have a copyright question, you know? So, yeah. But the other rules are also, you know, uh, be yourself. I have to say that. And also, know that you're going to become a better writer. If you think that yes. you... I, have you become a better writer since you've been I have. Writing? In fact, yeah. my mother, who reads my blog, I don't know who else yeah, does, but my mother reads my blog, and I sent her one that I did right after the banquet last night okay. where I was talking about Takufu and the, the merging of technology and the desire for connectedness. And she wrote me and she says, when did you learn how to write like that? Uh, And I think, she says, you're just using more, you're using better, more better words. More better words. Um, You're using better better words, words. more descriptive words. And I thought, and I went back and I read it to see, and I thought, you know what, I guess it has evolved. And it's because I don't want to ramble and ramble. I want to say it well. Right. I also think the reason you become a better writer is you read more blogs. Yeah, that's is true. You're, you're exposed to different writing styles. People, you know, Randy Seaver is a great writer. Footnote Maven I adore, mm-hmm. you know, and we all have different styles. And that's the one thing I had meant to mention during the blogging summit is people were saying, well, where do you get these templates? I like the look of this. Well, basically, email that person and say, how'd you do this? Where'd you get the template? Is it free? Because flattery is a great I mean, bloggers think that's great. When you say, I enjoyed your post, I enjoy your blog, I like the way this looks. I even actually go through, whenever I spot a website that just catches my eye or I love the colors, I I bookmark it under my favorites. Favorite websites, designs, favorite writers, because sometimes you just need a fresh inspiration. A lot of those, uh, like GeniaBloggers.com is based on a free WordPress template, and if you go down to the lower right corner, you will get a link to the website where I got the template from. You know, so if you really see a template you like, you can find it that way. So uh, it just the possibilities are endless. And also, I think that's part of the problem why people don't get started with blogs, is they don't know where to start. <laughs> it can be I mean, a little overwhelming. Sometimes there's freedom when there's not a lot of choices. When you're narrowed down, you know, some people feel... In fact, it doesn't make sense, but there's a lot more freedom that way. But, uh, you know, that's what GeniaBloggers.com is there for. It's a free website. It's a free source. Uh, it does take up a lot of my time, but it really comes from the heart, and I enjoy it. But uh, it's there to help people get started. So where does your passion come for this? And did you know, how long have you known that this was a passion of yours and that you wanted everyone to blog? Well, I've been in the IT and the technical field for 25 years now. I started out working for the Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C., and uh, someone threw one of the first IBM PCs on my desk in the 1980s and said, here, learn it and train everyone else in the department. (laughs) So it's what we call an accidental trainer. Yes. And so I wound up training people that were close to retirement age they were thinking of early retirement because they were so afraid of using a computer. So my specialty is working more with people that are in their 50s and 60s or retired and getting over that technophobia. So that's what I specialize in. And I've always been in a genealogy for about 15 years since my mother handed me a printed copy of the family genealogy from 1916. 
So a few years ago, I decided that uh, to sort of blend both genealogy and technology together. And that's where the blocking comes from, you know? So I think anyone here had started with a minimal amount of technical knowledge. But also, we've had some people like, uh, we have an 87-year-old blogger. I don't know if you know Ernie, Ernie's Journeys. The no, I'm not familiar with Oh, that. from Colorado. He's 87. He used to be a radio cowboy in the 30s. He was called the Sunflower Wrangler. Oh, wow. And he and his daughter, Becky Jameson, both blog. Oh, yeah. Becky, yeah. no. Well, this is Becky's father. Oh. So Becky does Grace and Glory. Uh-huh. And Ernie does Ernie's Journeys. And it's amazing the following that this 87-year-old man has because he's basically putting down his memories of his radio cowboy days. Oh, you know, so it goes to show you that it can be any age you can get started, uh, any technology level, and you know the Genia bloggers are a supportive community. That's what they're there for. So what I think is so fun is that at this conference. Um, we're going to have a chance to get together. We're doing a Facebook get together. Right. You've been kind of helping orchestrate that, right, and then right. you put together this dinner tonight dinner, for Genia bloggers. We have bloggers. thirty-five Genia bloggers or their guests, so we have total thirty-five people this tonight. I don't know dinner. which I've been looking forward to more doing the jamboree or doing the because you know you see these people and you I feel know. like you get to know each other, but there's nothing like a and you just get a big hug. You know, right, they walk right, up to the table right, and it's a big hug. Exactly. It's not a handshake. Right, right. I think what's going to happen tonight, we are going to have a group photo probably towards the end of dinner, and we also someone has suggested maybe during each course get up and change seats. So you oh, have a better chance idea. to talk to other people. Yes. So we may actually do that. We have a we have a you know our own room, and uh, so basically it's going to be nice and quiet, and uh, we can sort of let loose as much as we want and <laughs> laugh and joke around. But really, this has been it's been a great opportunity. Some of these people I have known for two years online virtually. Yeah. But you know I've never gotten a chance to meet in person. You know, so it's been great. And met your expect exceeded your expectations. Met and exceeded, and people there they you think you know them from their blog. Right. They're always a little bit different. Yeah, they are. They are. There's always just a little something that's different. Yeah. So. Well, it's true, and if anything, we look younger in our pictures. I think oh, is I what know it is. That. It depends on what picture you put up. So yeah. <laughs> Thomas, uh-huh. thank you so okay. much thank for joining you. us here on thank the show. You. We're going to have um, okay. links to all of all of his blogs in okay. the show notes. Great. And Great. I will see you at dinner tonight. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks. It was a lot of fun visiting with Thomas at the Jamboree. And if you'd like to visit some of Thomas's blogs, I'll have the complete list for you in the show notes. And I also have a video version of this interview available as well. Just head to the Genealogy Gems TV channel at YouTube at youtube.com slash user slash genealogy gems. You know, I love bringing these genealogical gems to you that help boost your research and build a strong family tree. And it's important to me to always have free podcasts available so that everyone can participate. If you enjoy these free shows and you would like to help me cover the costs of bringing them to you each week, there's a really easy way to do that that won't cost you a thing. By coming to my website at genealogygems.tv whenever you need to do some shopping online and accessing your favorite stores and websites through the links that you find on my site, you financially support the show. The price you pay is exactly the same, but Genealogy Gems receives a small percentage for referring you. It's just that simple. Amazon is one of my all-time favorite places to shop online. They have just about everything and at incredibly competitive prices. 
So next time you're looking for books, DVDs, software, electronics, apparel, pretty much anything at all, head to genealogygems.tv and click the Amazon ad that you find on the homepage or throughout the website. And these free podcasts will benefit by any shopping that you do. And you will get the same super low prices. Everybody wins. So if you enjoyed the Genealogy Gems podcast and the Family History Genealogy Made Easy podcast, let your mouse do the shopping through the ads and links on the Genealogy Gems website, and together we'll keep new episodes coming for a long time to come. little quick gem for you. It's a snippet of my interview with Eric Grunset. He's the library director at the DAR Library, and their website is dar.org. Now, as you may know, I am the producer and host of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. It's a monthly show for Family Tree Magazine, and I get an opportunity to talk to a lot of great librarians around the country in their library spotlight segment. And I always enjoy asking librarians what their their favorite collection is. Sometimes it's one that's very focused on genealogy, and sometimes it's just something that they uncovered in the back room that they have uh, have a personal interest in. Well, in this little snippet, Eric Grunset shares a collection that he found at the DAR library and has a particular interest in, and that's being prepared for release to the general public. And finally, I love to ask librarians, do you have a favorite collection there at the library that especially gets your interest? There's so many unique things here, uh, new things that pop up all the time. Uh, I'll give you one little example of something that that has always uh, struck me as as extremely interesting, and it's something that we're planning to publish in the near future. Uh, The DAR had a chapter uh, between uh, the World Wars in Shanghai, China, and they produced, the members of that chapter produced two volumes of, uh, two TypeScript volumes of uh, vital records relating to Americans in China and Korea. Um, that's probably the most unusual kind of thing that, that, that we have in our collection. Uh, we've, uh, re, re, uh, we've re-scanned it and we're, we're in the process of editing it for, editing it for publication. So um, that's, that's an example of the, of the unusual kinds of things that we have here. And when I first discovered this about 25 years ago, uh, I, I made sure that the book resided in my office so it didn't vanish. There are many, many other similar kinds of things like that that are unique to our holdings that were collected by members of the DAR. And I guess in that respect, that's kind of my favorite aspect of it is that we have so many unusual uh, or, or things that are you know, have very limited quantity copies of them and uh, that are just not available in very many other institutions. That, that, I think that's one of the strengths of our collection as well as one of my favorite things about it. Well, I think that's a great point to end on. You never know what to expect when you head to the DAR library, but it's definitely worth the visit because there are so many unique and special collections there. Well, if you'd like to hear the rest of my interview with Eric Grunset of the Daughters of the American Revolution Library, tune in to the July episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. You can find it in iTunes or you can find it online at familytreemagazine.com slash podcast. I love this episode. I also got a chance to interview oh, the founder of deadfred.com, Joe Bott. 
He's a great guy, has some great stories about the uh, bringing together of photographs and genealogists, as well as my conversation with Maureen Taylor on reverse genealogy. It's a great, fresh approach to um, breaking down some of those brick walls in your research. So that's the Family Tree Magazine podcast uh, this July of 2009. And also in July, more specifically Wednesday, July 29th, I'm going to be teaching an online seminar for Family Tree Magazine. This is really cool. I've been wanting to do this for quite some time, and um, they have asked me to come in and do a webinar on finding your family in old newspapers. I love the topic. And what's really neat about this is, you know, I know many of you say, gosh, I wish I could make it out to one of the conferences, but it's not in my area. Well, when you've got a webinar, you don't have to have it in your area. We can do this class together live from different sides of the country. It's wonderful. You, all you need is a computer and an internet connection, and you can dial right in and participate in the conversation, see me working with the slides, as well as actually working right online, live while I'm doing it, so that you can really see the tips and the tricks in action. And that is the beauty of webinars. It's a one-hour webinar, again, Wednesday, July 29th, and it's going to be at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. The cost is $29.99, and you can register at the Family Tree Magazine website. Just go to FamilyTreeMagazine.com, and you'll see some blue tabs across the top. The first one says Webinars. Just click on that. You'll find all the information, and you can register right online. And if you register in advance, you have the opportunity to submit some of your own questions so that I can answer them right then during the webinar. So this is really cool technology, the next step in genealogy education. If you can't make it to the conference, this is a way of kind of bringing the classes to you. And also, oh my gosh, what is, I've, there's been so much going on with Family Tree Magazine lately, and I have an article in the most current issue. You probably just got this in your mailbox. It's the September 2009 issue of Family Tree Magazine. So excited. I think I mentioned before that uh, Genealogy Gems was listed under the 101 best websites for tracing your family roots. And that was just really exciting. The Genealogy Gems is listed under top sites for cutting-edge tools and tips. I love that category. There are um, obviously 10 great websites listed there, and I am very honored to be among them. And also the September 2009 issue. If you look in the toolkit section towards the back of the magazine, you'll find an article that I wrote called Grave Transformations on page 66 and 67. And actually, I produced a video that goes along with this article that shows you step by step how to do the process that I'm talking about in this. The idea is that we don't want to destroy tombstones. And so I used a photo editing program that I've used to improve images, you know, my family photographs with. And I um, experimented with taking photographs of a gravestone and then using the different light source type alterations and contrast, brightness, uh, sharpness, that kind of thing, to bring out the various aspects of the tombstone so that I can read the entire thing without ever touching it. No shaving cream, no rubbings, no nothing like that. You don't have to touch the gravestone. You can actually work with it right just from the photograph. So check that out. It's, it's really a fun technique and certainly gravestone friendly, right? <laughs> 
to find the video that goes along with that. Family Tree Magazine also has a channel on YouTube. So just type in Family Tree Magazine in the search box and you will look for the Grave Transformations video. And I'd love to hear from you. If you try out this technique with a hard-to-read gravestone, sometimes people, you know, will take a photograph for us of a tombstone where we're not in that area, and we get it, and we go, oh, that's great, but I can't read it very well. Try some of these techniques, and I'd love for you to email me and send me an example of how you were able to improve the image and be able to read it more clearly. So uh, send that along to genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com. Would you like to boost your genealogy research and break through those brick walls? Well, here's your answer. Become a Genealogy Gems Premium Member. You'll get two extra members-only episodes every month packed with great tips that you can use right away and instructional videos walking you through the best internet tools step-by-step. In the current series called Google, a goldmine of genealogy gems, I'll show you how to get the most out of Google. If you enjoy the Genealogy Gems podcast, then you're going to love being a Genealogy Gems premium member. This is Tim Cox. I'm a premium member, and I have been for a while. just wanted to call and let you know that I really enjoyed being a premium member, and one of the perks I like about it is the videos. I learned how to build my own genealogy dashboard. The videos were called Google, a goldmine of genealogy gems, and because I made that dashboard, I'm able to monitor all the blogs and the websites that interest me, and I was able to create tabs So each tab has different topics and just go to each one I want. This is like the best thing since sliced bread. So Lisa, thank you for what you're doing and I really do enjoy your podcast. To become a premium member, go to my website at genealogygems.tv and click the join today button. And by entering the special coupon code SAVE20, that's S-A-V-E-2-0, you'll get 20% off the annual membership. Genealogy Gems Premium Membership. It's where you belong. Well, that's it for this episode number 68. My thanks to Thomas McKenty for joining me and giving us some great insight into genealogy blogging. And a quick note, I want to thank all of you listeners who are helping to support the podcast by using the Amazon links on my website to do your online shopping. You are the reason that this podcast happens, and I really, really appreciate that so much. And I had some great news recently. Um, My book, Genealogy Gems, Ultimate Research Strategies, was tagged by the publisher, lulu.com, to be included on Amazon for sale. So if you head over to Amazon through my website and do some shopping, it's just going to be that much easier to pick up a copy of the book. And the best part is the shipping is less on Amazon. So that is great. And mark your calendars. I hope that you'll join me at the Family History Expo in Sandy, Utah. It's just outside Salt Lake City, a great place to... uh, Take the weekend to do a conference and maybe a couple extra days at the Family History Library. I know that I will be doing that. That's August 28th and 29th of 2009. I'll be there teaching three classes, as well as videotaping lots of interviews for Family History Exposed TV channel. And not only that, but I will be in the exhibit hall uh, with my Genealogy Gems booth. And I am very excited because I have a brand new product that I'm going to debut at the expo. 
So if you find yourself anywhere in the area, I sure hope that you will make your way to Sandy, Utah to join in on all the wonderful classes and exhibits they put together at the Family History Expos. And when you're there, be sure and stop by the Genealogy Gems booth in the exhibit hall and say hi. And in the meantime, keep in touch by emailing me at genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com. And thanks so much for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.